can see this morning, and we're thankful that we have opportunity like this to assemble and to continue our worship to God now as we open His Word, as we read and study from it. Uh, the uh, passage that Brother Connor just read for us uh, tells us of a time when, uh, although they didn't call it the Bible, because, uh, uh, but they did refer to it as the Book of the Covenant, the Old Testament Scripture that they had at that time of Genesis through Deuteronomy, the Law, and subsequent to that, the Psalms and the Prophets. But it was the Book of the Covenant that they read from, and Josiah led his people on that occasion in, in, making a, in taking a stand and obeying the covenant of God. Uh, as we've sung this morning, Give Me the Bible. Uh, that, uh, uh, that is the uh, uh, continues to stir our hearts, to exhort us and to encourage us. And so if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to become one, to follow the Bible, to accomplish that very thing, to receive that blessing from God. Uh, God will forgive your sins. He will add you to the, His church. He will give you a home in heaven. If you will have the faith to follow Him and to live His Word uh, that He has given us. As God's people, we want to have the right attitude about the Bible. As we've sung, give me the Bible. It is, it is that message that we want to cling to. That we want to be like uh, those who in the days of Josiah uh, followed the Lord God. They did not depart from following God. Why? Well, because they had a word that they were reading. They had a king that was leading them and they had taken a stand committing themselves to the very Word of God that he had, uh, that they were under covenant to. And it's those principles that uh, undergird, that are a part of this whole idea, give me the Bible. And we might say, well, why? Why give me the Bible? Because these days, a lot of people do not have the view of the Bible that we see here in our reading this morning about the Word of God, about the book of the covenant of God. They, they, they don't. Fear the God who gave it. They don't take a stand upon that book which He revealed, and they don't uh, follow those who would help us uh, serve God dutifully. They're, give me the Bible is no longer the uh, in many places in an increasing in an increasing number of churches of Christ. There's a new refrain, and it's not give me the Bible. Uh, there, I'm talking about now. You know, the denominations of men have long since laid the Bible aside or at least said we need something in addition to it. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years they have put their creeds and confessions on top of the Bible and said we need that to define how to follow the Bible, how to be a Christian. But give me the Bible as, as we perceive it to impress upon our minds that we need God's Word. Give that to me. And give all of that to me. And leave none of it out, but that that's enough. That's sufficient. That's not the refrain anymore. Colossians 3.17 Whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him is, the, is, the, is why we say give me the Bible. Because I want to put the Word of Christ in my heart, verse 16 says, but the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. But it's sad to see that, a, that a, to hear a new refrain, to hear a new message, 
and, and see a new message at work in, in not a few churches of Christ. Because Bible patterns have become the villain in many places. Not interested in, in seeing the Bible as a pattern anymore. The brethren in churches of Christ you tell us the Bible's not a pattern. It's not a blueprint. It's not. It's it, that's not what it, you, you're you're being legalistic and tradition bound when you do that. Is the message you're stifling God's grace when you do that? Now we're not going to divert this morning and look at the many passages that talk about God's word being a pattern. But when you give me the Bible, you give me a pattern. 2 Timothy 1.13 says, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. You cannot separate Jesus from the pattern. And that pattern is His Word delivered by His apostles to the whole world. Now, what, we, what I'd like for us to, to really focus in on this morning, and I've, I've divided this into two parts. The, the, mess, the outline in the bulletin is just too much for one time. We're going to... So if we're back tonight, Lord willing, we'll have part two. If we're not back tonight due to weather, we'll have it next week. But we're gonna just we're gonna divide this because I want us to focus in on realizing and understanding what happens and what has happened, what continues to happen is that the Bible, the Word of God, the inspired Scripture, is being replaced with human wisdom. You know, you understand, don't you? A lot of people, when you say the Bible, like Dan said, they'll say, which one? And others will say, well, the Bible, I mean, what part of the Bible? And they will want to argue with you about the Bible is just from men, after all. And, and, and uh, uh, what about the Apocrypha? And, and, uh, uh, and such as that, which the Catholic Bible has. You know. So, people want their own wisdom to rule the day. Maybe if they accept the 66 books that we have in the Old New Testament as the, as the Word of God, human wisdom seems to be the order of the day. So that, that if you can reason it out uh, in yourself, in your own mind, in your own wisdom, in your own experiences, that's sufficient. Because you know, we can't all agree on the Bible anyway. Why give me the Bible? We can't agree on it. Is what people have convinced themselves of. And with that convincing... They have accepted something that is inferior to the Bible, namely their own wisdom. My wisdom is less than the wisdom of God, and so is yours. And so is everyone else's. But when we yield to that temptation, then we have effectively said, no, don't give me the Bible right now. Of course, that's part and parcel of giving me my own will, isn't it? My wisdom is my will. I, that's, that's what I'm going to act upon is my wisdom. See, that's why God says we need His wisdom. We need wisdom from above. Scripture says in James 3, 13-18, the wisdom from above. And He describes it. It's not like the wisdom of the earth. So we must develop that wisdom, God's wisdom. Wisdom has been revealed to us in inspired Scripture, in His Word. We say, give me the Bible because we want God's knowledge and God's wisdom to feed upon. Colossians 2 verse 8 says, don't let anyone plunder you, rob you, uh, deceive you, uh, and, and take from you the treasures that you have in Jesus Christ. Colossians 2 8 says, 
Beware lest anyone cheat you. Or idea is robbing you or, or plundering a treasure. Don't let anyone cheat you from through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men. The Greek philosophers were men. They devised their philosophies, their theories of life and humanity from their own mind and their own thinking and their own experiences and, and all of those things in, in which they but not from revealed scripture, not from the scripture of Almighty God. He said, and that still happens today. He says, don't be deceived. Whether it's the so-called classic philosophies of, of ancient Greek or uh, uh, Greece or, or or something else, Chinese philosophy, Indian philosophy, around the world. There's all kinds of philosophies, traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. Everything man has handed down, everything man has devised and teaches must be studied against Christ. Not the basic principles of the world. Christ has revealed Himself in a Word. He's spoken to us. God has spoken to us in His Son. His Son has sent inspired men, apostles and prophets, so that we can know truth. In Him is hidden all the treasure of knowledge and wisdom. Back up in verse 3. In whom, that is in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Give me the Bible because I want the, God's knowledge. I need God's wisdom. Give that to me because it's in Jesus and His Scriptures reveal Him to me and to the world. Give me the Bible. Not something that's inferior. Not something that's going to plunder the treasures that we have in Jesus Christ for now and for eternity. So let's just, I just want us to make some applications. Now, preachers would call this a shotgun sermon. That is, you just scatter it all out there and hit, hit a lot of different targets. But we can take this principle. If I want the Bible, if, you, if I want to say, give me the Bible, then I need to make the applications for it. And unfortunately, a lot of times, we can be tempted to say, give me the Bible, and yet, in truth and in reality, then not so much when we start making applications. And that's where we have to be honest with ourselves to investigate ourselves, examine ourselves if we are in the faith, which is the revealed gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to have to, if we're going to say, Give me the Bible, then give it to me so I can examine myself. And that's our first point. Some people will say, Give me the Bible. Except when it judges me a sinner. Uh, we don't sin is not sin anymore to a lot of people. No, don't talk about don't talk in terms of sin. That, that just that just shows you as being narrow minded and a bigot and prejudicial. If you start talking about sin, well, no, it's it's Talking the way the Bible talks. Amen. So, we have to accept the reality of sin. And we have to be willing to be judged by the Word of God as a sinner if I'm going to say, give me the Bible. Give it to me so I can know my sin. And so I can in Jesus Christ 
be forgiven of my sin. The Bible does that. The Word of God exposes sin. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It exposes sins in the heart as well as exposes sins that are then practiced in our lives. So when the people who murdered Jesus said, men and brethren, what shall we do? It was because they had been cut to the heart by what they heard. When they heard these words, the people said to to Peter and the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? God's Word convicted them of their sin. Suppose some walked away? Sure. Will people walk away today? Yes. Now as then, there will be some who will not say, quote, give me the Bible. With platitudes, they will say uh, that it is holy, that it is Holy Scripture, but when it begins to identify sin, then no, I don't really want the Bible. That's the reality. I mean, that's just how people respond to the Bible now as they, as they responded to the Word of God then. It was no different. It's sad to see that people want to hold the Bible up. Honor the Bible. Give me the Bible. But when it shows that there's sin in my life, no, I'm going to push back. I'm going to push back. But the reality is God's Word exposes sin, but it also exposes us. See, it exposes our heart as well. And a lot of people don't want to be don't want that exposure. Jesus talked about that in John 3, 19 through 21. Sin hates the light. Evil hates the light. It doesn't come to the light lest its its works will be shown to be evil. I mean that that is exactly the, the point Jesus made. Light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Why is it people don't want the Bible? Because it condemns their sin. Now we either have a heart that is willing to accept that condemnation and then receive God's remedy, or we stay in the darkness. And we give lip service to the Bible and yet reject it in practice. Everyone practicing evil hates the light. And does not come to the light that his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they've been done in God. Truth exposes my sin and it also exposes me. It exposes what kind of person I'm going to be when I come to the truth. When that truth convicts me of sin. In chapter 7 of Acts, we see the kind of people... And in Acts 2 it was on Pentecost, about 3,000 were good-hearted because they received the Word and were baptized that day. But in Acts 7 and 54, after Stephen preached the Gospel to a group of people there, it says that when they were cut to their heart, they were furious when they heard what Stephen had said. It says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Not like Acts 2.37, they were made furious And they gnashed at him with their teeth. They stoned him to death. It was the same word Peter had preached, the apostles had preached in Acts 2. But instead of saving souls that day, it exposed the sinful hearts and prompted their rebellious murdering of God's God's man Stephen. See? Give me the Bible. 
Which one will we be? I mean, it comes to us. It's easy to point out to others, but we're coming talking about us now. Give, what am I, how am I going to react to Scripture that exposes my sin and exposes me in reference to it? Will I, how will I react? In humble repentance and obedience or in willful rejection and refusal? Or maybe like, like Felix in Acts 24-25. You know, this is, this is our compromising ground here. Uh, as Paul reasoned with him of, self, uh, of righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. And he answered and said, Go your way for now, and when I have a convenient time, I'll call you for you. I'll call for you. So, so our compromising ground is, well, maybe one of these days. Not right now, but soon. Of course, the, the convenient time never came. It doesn't come because now is the day of salvation. So, so give me the Bible. Especially when it shows my sin. Because I need to know that if I'm going to be forgiven in Jesus Christ and have any hope of heaven. If I'm going to be able to serve Him as a Christian. I need to know sin so I can remove it, so I can confess my sin to Him and be forgiven of it by Him. Others say, "Give me the Bible," but not so much when it's when it when when we come to what it says about the church. Well, people, the Bible is being read all over the world this day, as Aaron correctly pointed out. All around the world, we have brethren who are remembering the Lord's death in the eating of the supper, as the Lord has taught us in Scripture. But also, but and so. At the same time, all around the world, there are many, many churches that are reading out of the Bible, using the Bible in some way, and yet refuse what the Bible says about the church. And and brethren are becoming queasy. I don't say becoming is the right word. They already have become. (laughs) Some are queasy when it gets to talking about what the Bible says about the church. They don't have a concept of the church. Fundamental problem is it starts when we think the church belongs to us. Church doesn't belong to us. Church belongs to Jesus. I'll build my church. People have an idea of the church, it belongs to them. They can adapt and modify the church in the way that they want it to be instead of what the Bible says it is. Now, Bible says Jesus purchased the church with His blood. Acts 20, 28. That's why I know it's His. He said, it's my church. I'll build my church. It's mine, not yours. You're not dying for it. I am. Jesus died for it. So it's His church. His blood purchased it. See, it's because it's made up of those who've been redeemed by His blood. Church is made up of people who are lost. It's not made up of people who, 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 who may be religious but haven't obeyed the Lord's plan of salvation. That's not His church. There are a lot of churches out there. We need to understand those, those churches out there are not His church. Men started them. Men propagated them. Men perpetuate them. Well, then what's any different with the church of Christ, Joe? Well, you just got your own... Your own uh, History, your own restoration movement. Somebody asked me just the other day, said, talked about the restoration movement a little bit. I said, you know what? 
Personally, I, I haven't done a great deal of study in, in the restoration movement. It'd be an interesting study, profitable study. Not discounting that study at all, but, but who I am as a Christian isn't dependent upon the quote restoration movement. Do we understand that? If we think it does, then we fall right into the same traditional denominational trap that millions and millions of people have already. The call of the Gospel is that we allow His Word into our heart, that it germinates there. It produces a new birth. It's the seed by which we're born again. And when born again, the Lord adds that new child to His body, His church. If someone is not saved, they're not in His church. Give me the Bible, except when you start talking about there being the body of Christ and He is the head. Because you see, there's a billion people in this world who thinks the head of the church is in Rome. There are no doubt brethren in some churches who think they're the head of that little church there. As if it's theirs. There's one head, one body. Ephesians 2, 22-23. He made, gave Him to be head over all things to the church which is His body. The fullness of Him who fills all in all. Oh yeah. Give me the Bible. Except when you start seeing what it says about the church. Then people kind of pull back. Because you see, there's one body. The Bible says that one body is His church. Already identified in Ephesians 1, 22-23. So when you have hundreds and hundreds of different bodies claiming to be the one body, you've got a problem. The body is made up of Christians. The body of Christ is not made up of churches of Christ. Do you hear that? The church of Christ is not made up of churches of Christ. You're not going to find a Scripture that teaches that. That's denominationalism. The Bible says the church is made up of Christians who themselves compose local churches of Christ. Simple. One body. Not hundreds of bodies with one head. One head, one body, composed of Christians. And Jesus is going to save the body. See, He didn't save churches, He saves he saves Christians. He's the Savior of the body. Ephesians 5.23 Give me the Bible, preacher. But that stuff about the church, I can serve Jesus without a church. I don't need a church. No, God and I have this relationship. You know, we have this, we have this agreement, right? You people talk that way. Are you are you hear people talking about Christianity is about Jesus? It's not about religion. And what they're saying is, organized religion has no really is, is secondary and, and and minimal when it comes to to following Jesus. No. It's at the central heart of it because religion is the pious service that we render to God. James 1, 26 and 27, the religious man is pure and undefiled in his religion. James 1, 27. Religion is not a bad word in the Bible. The people, because they don't understand the church, have put a bad connotation on the church and a bad connotation on pure religion, 
And what they've ended up with is, you see, people see the denominations of men and they say, that, that can't be right. And they're correct. It can't be right. Denominationalism cannot be right because it began with men. Dividing and naming and separating from others. Spirit said expressly in latter days some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, searing their conscience as with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and abstaining from meats. 1 Timothy 4, 1-3. Men have stepped away from, fell away from truth, from the faith. We're going to say give me the Bible, it means come back to it. Come back to it and follow it. And be simply His church, members in his, of His church. Universally applied, generally applied of all the saved on this earth and locally applied to a local congregation, a local church that belongs to Jesus Christ. Following His will as we worship and work together. Give me the Bible. Some say, except for what it says about worship. Oh, you know, there's some today who want to say everything you do is worship. You know, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible describes people going to worship God. Now, it's not that everything you do every minute of every day is worship. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches giving homage and, and adoration to God in, in particular ways. In fact, he says that it's got to be in spirit and in truth. God is seeking true worshipers. A worshiper is someone who comes before God and gives Him homage, gives Him the honor that He is due. God seeking true worshipers who worship Him in spirit and in truth. That is with the heart and with the action that He prescribes, that He reveals. Of course, the, the important, an important application of that and there are many, but let's just look at this one. The use of instrumental music in worship. Because you see, most of the denominations of men use instrumental music in worship. It wasn't always so. The denominations themselves went through a period of transition away from singing to the adding of the instrument. Whether you knew that or not, you need to know that. See, we sometimes just assume the instrument's always been a part of any, every worship. And that's not so. But more than that, we have to go back to the Bible and see what place it has in the Bible. Because that's the important point. Well, in the Bible, in that book of Second Chronicles, in fact, uh, as they were reading from the book of the covenant that we noted earlier, an earlier king, Hezekiah, himself led the, the nation in some... Some uh, reform, reformations and restorations that they needed. And part of that was the worship. Second Chronicles 29-25, He stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord in the temple with cymbals, with stringed instruments, and with harps according to the commandment of David, of, the Gad, of Gad the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet, for thus was the commandment of the Lord by His prophets. So in the Old Testament, at the temple, there was singing and there was playing by the commandment of the Lord. By the command of the king and by the commandment of the Lord by His prophets. And so that was entirely 
proper, scriptural, God endorsed, God revealed, and God accepted. Well, we're not under the book of the covenant of the old law now. We're, we're under the new covenant. And in the new covenant of Jesus Christ, we have a pattern. The Bible has set a pattern for true worship in spirit and in truth. And that pattern is consistently seen. Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16, James 5.16, Mark 14.25, 1 Corinthians 14.15. Go down the list of the Scriptures. Every time, without exception, when there is music offered to God in the new covenant of Jesus Christ, it is vocal music. It is singing. Now, you see, I understand why people don't want a pattern when they want to add instrumental music. Because it's not a part of the pattern. It has to be forced in there some way. Because it's not there. And that's a problem. Because we don't have the right to force it in there when it's not there. We have the right to follow the pattern. It's our responsibility to do that. And if I don't, how am I a true worshiper? In truth, I'm not, I'm not worshiping in truth if I add to the truth something that's not there. That's not a hard concept. Instrumental music was added by men hundreds of years after the New Testament. After the first century. And there was much opposition. Even a thousand years later, there was much opposition. Because you see, it's simply not in the pattern. Men moved away from the patterns of Scripture. Say, oh no, Joe, that word solo in Ephesians 5.19, that, that, that includes the instrument. You know there is an instrument in Ephesians 5.19. It's not in the word solo. Solo means to pluck. So we're going to have to find what it is we need to pluck. The word's not, an instrument is not automatically in that word. What does he say, pluck? He says, singing and doing, making melody, that's solo. Making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Any of you guys have a piano in your heart? Pretty big heart. That'd be an oddity, wouldn't it? But we all have a heart. We have a, we have a God-made instrument. He says, pluck your heart in singing. Now, do you do that? You see, on the one hand, we need to demonstrate we have an instrument. It's our heart. Now, to the point for you and me, are we singing from our heart, with our heart to the Lord? Or are we kind of mumbling it through the words and not with our heart giving honor, adoration, and praise to God? See, we need to apply it to ourselves as richly and forcefully as we want to apply it to those who have added the instrument. We have the, the man-made instrument. We have the instrument. It's our heart. Now, we better be plucking it. We better be playing it. We're going to sing. Let's sing. It's to the Lord. And so we offer Him our best. We sing out and we sing to Him from our heart the honor He is due. We don't add another, another instrument man-made. It's not there. It's simply not there. It used to be. There are a lot of things that used to be. 
that are in the world we run the covenant of Jesus Christ. You know what? Also in worship these days, there's a lot of churches that have performances and dramatic portrayals and perceive that to be worship. Choirs, solos, quartets. What did it say? You pick out the best singers and let them sing on behalf of the rest of the group. It's just not there. Not there. You see, we speak one to another. Ephesians 5.19 addresses that. Speaking one to another. We're all speaking to each other when we sing. That's what we need. What about worship? Bible says regular assembly is a part of our worship. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And again, again, some want to kick at that. It says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as to see the day approaching. We have responsibility not to abandon our assembling, but, but look why. It's verse 24. Verse 24 gives us the reason not to forsake our assembling together. It's not, well, because that's, a, that's just a church of Christ tradition that you've, you've set up about well, two hours on Sunday morning, an hour on Sunday night. Of course, that's not, <laughs> that never has been set in stone. It's about whatever that local church deems important for its own worship and edification. Yes, we have some first day of the week responsibilities, and we get together at other times than the first day of the week for the same purpose of worshiping God and doing what? Stirring up one another to love and good works. Let us consider one another to stir up the love and good works. I can't do that if I choose not to be here. Amen. And you can't either. You can't be stirred up and you can't stir somebody else up. And so he says, don't forsake your assembling together. That's Sunday morning, Sunday night, a gospel meeting, a Wednesday, a Thursday, whenever we have as a congregation arranged and provided for the worship of God and the edification of the saints, it's a time of assembly for us to stir up one another, to consider one another. The word consider there is to give attentiveness to, be attentive to, and fix one's eyes upon. We, we fix our eyes upon each other. We know someone is hurting. That we wouldn't know if we weren't here today. We know that somebody is joyful. That we wouldn't know if we weren't with them. We know somebody needs a prayer. That we wouldn't know if we were here It's not about checking off my attendance chart. It's about my participation in worship and participating together genuinely in the honoring of God and the edifying of one another in God's Word and will and worship as He's given us. It's genuine participation. Well did, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, Jesus said, you hypocrites. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts far from me. In vain they they, they honor me, teaching as their precept, as their commandments, the precepts of men. Hearts that are given to God, that follow the word of God, avoid hypocrisy. We can't be people who say, "Give me the Bible," but then refuse the opportunities to be given the Bible. How does that work? Well, I know, you know, there's health, there's, there's situations 
illnesses and things that weather that prevent situ- uh, that, but we're talking about here this this general principle of, of responsibility and priority and blessing. The blessing of regular assembly. Let's see it as a blessing, not as a hindrance. Well, one final point before we close this lesson, and that is, give me the Bible, many people say, except for what it says about how to be saved. Except for what it says about how to be saved. You start talking about that, oh, then you, then you really start stirring up trouble. Because I believe the Bible says you, you saved by faith only. And anything you do, any works that you have are just filthy rags. Someone else says, no, well, you know, we're saved by the, the, only the grace of God. It, it's all the grace of God. Now, the Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is not our doing. It's God's gift. But it's by grace through faith. Grace is what God extends to us in His Son. Faith is our response to that. A faith that that takes God at His Word and does what He says. Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation He who fears God and works righteousness is acceptable to Him. Acts 10, 34-35 If we want to say, give me the Bible about how to be saved, then we have to accept what the Bible says about being saved. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. He that does not believe will be condemned. Why? Because with no faith, you're lost. But it takes faith and obedience, repenting and being baptized, to be saved. Acts 2 38 to have your sins removed, remitted, remission. We're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ did put on Christ. It's the faith of the Gospel, not the law of Moses, that enables us to be children of God. And that is expressed by putting on Christ, by being baptized into Christ. That's the faith at work. To be saved by God's grace. Give me the Bible. means give me how to be saved. See, show my sin, and then show me how to be saved. And the Bible does both. That's why we say, give me the Bible. If the Bible has shown you your sin this morning and convicted you of it, it shows you how to be saved. Respond with faith. Repenting of your sin. Being baptized into Christ for the remission of those sins. It also shows us as Christians what to do when we find sin in our lives. It teaches us to confess our sin to God, to repent. With that repentance and confession the Lord, will remove our sins by the blood of Jesus. 1 John 1 and verse 9. If we can help you respond to the Bible, to the Word of God, as a lamp that you feed and a light to your path, to respond and be saved in Jesus, won't you come while we stand and sing?